Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, which is what the Gospel is all about. It is about preaching that the Kingdom of God is at hand. It's within your reach. It is for the living. It's not for the dead. It's not for one after you die. It's right now. And you should be seeking that Kingdom. The problem is, is that a lot of you might stumble on it and not even know that you have heard about the kingdom or seen the kingdom or or come into contact with the kingdom. You don't don't even know what's going on about you in relationship to the kingdom. You think the kingdom is some sort of an emotional connection that you get this this emotional charge that, that you think you mistaken for a spiritual relationship. Now there is a a degree of spiritual relationship with the kingdom that almost everybody can experience. And people experience some sort of change in their life, some sort of different way of thinking. And it often is accompanied by an emotional reaction because you may feel a heavy weight lifted off of you. You may feel a sense of exhilaration. And this also causes an emotional response in your body. And you feel that. And you think you have been born again. Or that somehow or other you have changed and now become saved. And there's lots of preachers out there who talk about just accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and then suddenly you're saved and you've like passed through some sort of portal of salvation. The problem is there was a lot of people who had such feelings and they were still workers of iniquity. They were not perfected in Christ. They still could not hear the wholeness of the message of Christ. And there are many people today that think they are saved. And Christ warns us about that. Many, he says, will think they're doing things in my name and they're actually not. They're actually workers of iniquity. I don't know them. They don't know me. They're not a part of the kingdom. And Peter and Paul and James and John all warn about how to test your faith. How to see if your faith is really that true faith that means that you are born again. And uh, you you need to be looking for that way of testing your faith to make sure that you're not counted amongst those who are workers of iniquity. Every church should be concerned with this. Every congregation should be concerned with this. And And the problem is a lot of people come to the conclusion that that I've got it. I figured it out. I know what's what and how it all works. And, uh, you know, that maybe they've become Messianic Jews. They've gone back to the Torah and they've read the Torah and they realize, oh, we're supposed to be doing this and not eating unclean meats and, and taking the Sabbath off. And these become the markers of those individuals 
as to, um, you know, what they are uh, dealing with as far as uh, salvation. But those are not the markers that we see Peter, Paul, James, and John giving the New Testament church. The markers they give is that are you engaged in covetous practices? Are you not keeping the commandments? And the commandments is the Ten Commandments. That's that's pretty clear. And the Ten Commandments are not really laws like you you think of. You know, if you you know if you go 65 in a 55 mile zone, you can get a fine for a thousand dollars. If you if you actually I. I heard uh, that in England now, you can uh, go to jail. They actually put somebody in jail for flipping off a a traffic camera. In other words, he made a hand gesture to the traffic camera, and he was arrested and is actually doing jail time for doing that. Which is, you know, I mean, that that's kind of like a freedom of expression. <laughs> it wasn't directed at any one individual. It was just to the the uh, traffic camera. And it got him actually doing jail time. People are actually going to jail for tweets that they make on uh, the Internet. And for Facebook posts, they can actually be put in jail in Great Britain. And this change has taken place over a period of time. It's it's absolutely accepted in the minds of people. They they don't think that's strange. They think, well, they, they should because they should not have tweeted that. It is a strange way of thinking, but it's okay with some people. I mean, they just had a baby that was ill and it might not live. And uh, it, the parents have been treating it, but, uh, you know, th- by taking it to the uh, one, you know, it's uh, socialist medicine there. So they take it to the hospital, etc. And the hospital decided that the baby should die. And they withdrew its oxygen tube, I guess, uh, uh, or feeding tube or whatever. So they, they're taking away its life support and it didn't die. They thought it would die in seconds minutes at the most well days went by and it didn't die and so they were going to actually inject something in the baby to kill it meanwhile uh the pope uh italy uh people all over the world were saying no uh don't let it die we'll take it we no cost to great britain we'll take the child and you know, we'll try to help it survive. And the parents didn't want it to die. And they wanted to, they still had hope. And they want, but the socialized medicine of Great Britain decided the baby should just die. They thought that was right. And they think that's okay to make that decision. Disregard the parents. Disregard, you know, the whole nations who offered the child, granted citizenship to the child so he could be removed from Great Britain and they would take care of him, but they were not allowed to take care of the child. And so the child died. Last night, it died. And uh, with the assistance of socialized medicine, they killed the child. Now, 
there's been other children or other people that they they were going to do this and they actually whether people were withholding help and they were taken out of the country and they survived they actually lived some of them died some of them actually lived there are so many cases in medicine where people are given a death sentence by doctors say oh they have no chance of living and uh, they're going to die in six months or they're going to die in three months or they're going to die in a few days and it ends up that they're not only don't die but they're back at work 90 days later with no sign of illness whatsoever after the medical society said that was guaranteed they were going to be dead in a matter of days or minutes even and the people made a change of mind the person on the bed he didn't change his mind but the family changed their mind about what they were going to do and they began they they took them immediately off of hospital food <laughs> which they weren't eating anyway they couldn't even raise their hand in the bed they began to prop them up and feed them other food that they brought in and within 30 days he had left the hospital and within 90 days he was back at work uh, showing no ill effects. I mean, you wouldn't even know the guy had been sick. There, I mean, there are countless cases. You know, guy gonna he said he only has months to live. He's got terminal cancer. It's a serious, serious cancer. And so he thinks, well, I'm going to go back to the homeland. So he goes back to, I think, Greece. And uh, uh, he had never been there, but he had relatives still there. And he went back there. He, he was in his 60s. He was in his 90s, last I heard. He didn't die. The cancer disappeared. And what did he do? He he went to Greece and changed his diet. Changed his attitude. Changed what he thought every morning. And he continued to live. And so whatever was killing him, stopped killing him and went away. Because there was a change. But is he in the kingdom of God? And is he continuously seeking the kingdom of God? There was a lot of changes that went on in his life. And this is just one. There's there's millions of these stories. You know, you could go on all day talking about all these different stories. And I, I believe that all of these stories give you evidence of the salvation of God, which we are to seek to be perfected in the salvation of Christ. In the kingdom of God. Because the salvation of Christ is the kingdom of God. It is the right to be ruled by God. Not ruled by doctors. Not ruled by socialized medicine. Not ruled by the DMV. Department of Motor Vehicles. That could send you to jail. For making a hand gesture at. uh, You know a, a traffic camera. You know, not be ruled by Facebook or or the thought police. And we're going to talk uh, about some of these things. But we really need to take a look uh, in greater depth. And, and we have so many things written. I put up uh, audios, uh, audio series on First and Second Peter. I just did a little bit on Ruth 4 and uh, added to our page. We have the whole Bible on our website at Preparing You, and I'm going through and creating studies by chapter and by verse. Uh, 
uh, just did something on Genesis 6 and put it up. I haven't posted it to the network yet. Uh, but, uh, you know, like Noah, somebody, somebody was thinking that, uh, well, it doesn't seem to be a very merciful God if he wipes out the entire planet and except for, you know, six people on this boat and they all die. And, uh, that seems like a pretty merciless God. Well, what what was it saying at that time? What was going on in the world at that time? Was it a world of violence? It says it was. Uh, ask you this. Is, was it violence when the baby didn't die within minutes in Great Britain? Didn't die within hours in Great Britain. And it was getting more and more press. More and more people were hearing about it. Uh, there was more and more bad press coming their way. Then they decided to withhold more from the baby and actually inject the baby with substance that would cause it to die more quickly. There was a car outside ready to transport, I think it was an ambulance actually, ready to transport the baby to another country that said that they would take care of it, no cost to Great Britain, and Great Britain would not allow them to try to save the baby. You know, there's the thing called Good Samaritan Laws, that if you see somebody, you know, like uh, fall overboard or fall over into a, a stream and they're drowning, a river and they're drowning, and you could throw them a life vest or you could maybe call 911 or you could call out for help, but instead you turn around and walk away, that's a crime. You don't have to jump in the water. It's just a crime. It's called a Good Samaritan crime, at least in some parts of the world. They consider that a crime because you could have done something to to bring aid or assistance to that person at no threat to yourself, and you refuse to do it. That's considered a crime. There you have the whole nation. Queen didn't say, release the child. <laughs> She she continued with the policy of off with its head. How do we get to a state of such violence? You know, we we t- we can look back in history. We can look at the the Holocaust. Uh, you know, what was the Holocaust? People say it was six million Jews. Well, it was twenty million people were, and actually more than that died. You know, in World War One, uh, there were about three percent. Of the deaths of people were civilian. The rest were military soldiers. In World War II, almost 70% of the deaths were civilians. The rest were soldiers. And many of those deaths of soldiers took place in the custody where they had already surrendered. Many of those deaths were the soldiers who were already captured and allowed to die, put to death, uh, exterminated through depriving them of food and shelter and just common com- comforts, medicine, that would have been available not even at their expense because Red Cross would have come in and, and helped with uh, many of these situations. But... The inhumanity of man, and then you go on to the Soviet Union, you go on to China. Millions upon millions upon millions of people died 
at the hands of heartless, I, I, I could say government, but the reality is it's just people, other people. They might be in positions of power in government, but it's really anybody else. That's a pretty violent world. And we've had war after war after war. Now they just blend together Iraq, Afghanistan, maybe soon Iran, certainly Syria. Thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people die or perish or are uh, persecuted at the hands of other people. Well, we just had uh, the situation where the, they had uh, supposedly a gas attack in Syria. And evidence is now coming out that it never took place. The whole thing was just made up. The hospital that you see people getting doused with water because there's a gas attack and everything says we had no patients come in that day from you know, suffering from any kind of gas attack. They had men who ran into in front of the hospital and were throwing water on other men in front of cameras, claiming that there was a gas attack, but when they were all done filming, they all left. They did not stay at the hospital and get... As a matter of fact, the hospital reports less patients came into the hospital that day than normal. Yet, Millions of dollars of missiles went soaring through the air to destroy something. And the CIA didn't seem to pick up on the fact that the gas attack never took place. The news media didn't pick up on the fact that the gas attack never took place. They not only acted upon a gas attack that appears to have not even taken place, they tried and convicted the people who supposedly caused the gas attack, which doesn't make any logical sense whatsoever. And you have millions upon millions of dollars going into the uh, people who are supposed to know. You know, military intelligence, CIA, all these kind of people. They should know. Did the gas attack really take place? It seems like a handful of men ran out and staged the whole thing. Made up video. Not very clear video. But you could see the hospital that was in the pictures. And then now they, you know, guys go down there with their their phones and go and interview the doctors. And the doctors say, no, there was no patients that day from a gas attack. We don't know who those guys were. They just came in, filmed something and ran off. They left. Now, how many people know that? Because they're, what they think is media-driven. So, you know, repentance is a changing of the mind. It's a changing of the way you think. So, let's, you know, if you, if you look at uh, John 18 in, in the Bible, we can go and we can look at... Uh, Oh, this whole trial of Jesus Christ. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring you against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were uh, not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Now, there's there's a lot of misinformation floating around. I hear pastors uh, seminary graduates uh, coming around and saying, oh, well, the the 
the uh, Judeans, you know, the government of Judea, couldn't execute anybody because they didn't have the right, so they had to take the person to Rome. No. They executed people all the time. They had the absolute legal right as far as Rome was concerned to execute people who were criminals in their nation. Rome wasn't there to stop the local courts from executing somebody who committed a capital crime. I mean, they were going to stone the woman who was caught in adultery. They had the stones in their hand. Later on, they stoned Stephen. Uh, you know, they didn't go to Caesar. I mean, that's a no-brainer. You don't even have to have studied the laws of Rome and the laws of Judea to know that they had every right. As far as Rome was concerned, I'm not saying they had a lawful right. They had a right according to Romans' perception of Judaic law to execute people who committed capital crimes. What they did not have a right to do was execute people who claimed to be king. That's why they were there. That's why they were called. Rome was the policeman of the world, just like the United States was. And they were called in to settle a civil war between two men who both claimed to be king. Hyrcanus and Aristobulus, who were actually relatives. They came in at the invitation of Aristobulus, but eventually Pompey discovered or decided that Aristobulus did not have the best claim to the throne. Hyrcanus had a better claim to the throne. And eventually in this John 18, Pilate determines the Roman proctor there determines that Jesus has a better claim to the throne and decides that Jesus is the rightful king of Judea and therefore the kingdom of Israel. He decides that and says that and writes it down in three languages. That he is actually the rightful king of Judea and therefore of Israel. But he's not like other kings. He isn't going to exercise authority one over the other. He's going to return every man to his family and every man to his possessions. And he's going to go back to what Israel was originally, a free government, a pure republic, where all the taxes were voluntary. You decided who you were going to pay your tithe to. And you tithe to them according to their service. That's what Christ was doing. But your thinking has been altered. We'll talk more when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking about this situation in John 18, where some men could not see that Christ was king, and some men could see that Christ was king. And yet they may have access to the same exact facts, the same exact information, but some men cannot see that Christ is the legitimate king of Judea. They just can't see it. They don't want to see it. And of course, Jesus talks about this blindness. You know, my sheep hear my voice and uh, I come not to, uh, you know, to take away uh, sight from those that say they see, uh, you know, he repeats this 
idea that some will see and some will not see the truth. And Pilate, of course, is curious about what the truth is. But evidently, eventually, Christ sees that Christ is the legitimate king of Judea. Right there. That actual kingdom, right there. That government. He is the head of that government. And whoever he appoints to be the, you know, porters of the temple, will be the porters of the temple as far as Rome is concerned. So he said, then said uh, Pilate unto them, take ye him and judge him according to your laws. And the Jews therefore said unto him, it is not lawful for us to put any man to death. We see the word any man there, but that's actually from a particular Greek word. And there's several different forms of that Greek word. And it can mean any man or no man. Or it could actually mean certain men. Some man. You know, and what what they're dealing with and for certain crimes, we can't judge them and put them to death. That the saying Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou a the king of the Jews, the Judeans, the people of Judea. And Jesus answered him, saying, Thou sayest this thing of thyself, or did others tell it to thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. Now, we have articles that go through this in great detail. And I hear people say this all the time. And there are four to five different words in the Greek that are translated into the single English word, world, sometimes. And that word, we've studied this. We've gone back and found it written on stone. We find it in Koine Greek. We find it in other documents. That word, world, does not mean planet. It means, and it still says this right in your strong concordance, it's a constitutional order or system of government. It says it in Thayer's. The, and he's sitting, where is it they at? They're in the judgment hall. And he's saying, my kingdom is not of this world. This constitutional order or system of government. If my kingdom were of this world, then we would, when my servants fight, they would, you know, we'd get a couple lawyers in here and we would present evidence and we would sit down in this trial and we would defend our position. But his kingdom was not only uh, of the Pharisees, which was not yet resolved. We'll see that later resolved. But it was not of Rome. He had no treaty with Rome. And if you understood Judaic law, there was no right to make a treaty. If way back in Exodus it says you're not to make any treaties, leagues, covenants, which are actually in the Hebrew all the same word, although some of them have a few additional letters added to it, which is something I brought up just in um, our study in Genesis uh, 6. 
that you just add this extra one, two, three letters to the same word and you get a different meaning. But that doesn't always transmit in the translations that we read because the same people that translated these things went to the same seminaries that have a certain way of thinking. And they're already controlling the outcome by the way they think and way they perceive the truth. And you could take this way back to Ptolemy and the Septuagint. People play fast and loose with these translations to come up with a doctrine that fits their thinking. We need to be seeking the mind of Christ. We need to be seeking the, the truth about what... The Father really thinks. Jesus says, I am the truth. And when Moses wanted to know who, who is this God behind this burning light that he thought was a burning bush but did not consume, so he went and checked it out and he sees this glowing light like a burning bush and a voice comes out and speaks to him and tells him that I am who am. And Jesus says, I am you know, or I am that I am is what he said. It depends on how you look at the Hebrew language there. But this is what Christ is saying. The I am. I am the truth. That is what is the truth. So you have your opinion about God. And I may have my opinion about God. But the truth about God is independent of our opinions. It is up to us to have our opinions conform to the truth. Then we will know the truth. Christ conformed to the truth. The character of Christ was conformed to his Father. But who is your Father? Your, the Spirit that dwells in you. Is it conformed to Jesus? Or does it conform to another identity? And see, that's what we're actually seeing going on in the world today. We, we talk about liberals and conservatives and, and libertarians and, and we have all these categories. But what we really should have is a category of righteousness and unrighteousness. The category of the truth and the lie. Those, are, that's the, that's the category that we need to divide. And that, of course, is what is taking place. But there's a lot of people that think that they are a part of the truth, a part of the kingdom, because they have this parameter and this parameter and this parameter that they set down based on doctrines that they create by reading the Holy Scriptures. But they miss the fundamental nature of Jesus Christ. They want to be justified in their personal interpretation, their private interpretation of what is important in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in the Torah. And of course, the Pharisees all read the Torah and they came up with conclusions as to what it all meant. The Essenes read the Torah and they came up with conclusions about what it meant. And the Essenes and the Pharisees were certainly different in their interpretation. So who was right? Well, I, I think Jesus was right. But then what was Jesus really saying? And like I, I pointed out in our articles on Essene and our recordings on the Essenes, 
Many of the Essenes were very close to the teachings of Jesus Christ in, in the things that they were doing and the things that they were proclaiming. And I believe that many Essenes, or what we call Essenes, they didn't call themselves that, they became the early Christians. The question is, are the modern Christians like the Essenes or are they more like the Pharisees? You know, there's a there's an element in modern Christianity that is in love with the Jews. And Israel, over there in the nation that is called Israel. And that nation called Israel is breaking almost officially. I'm not talking about all the people, because I'm sure there's some really good people there. But the nation itself is breaking almost every rule that Moses laid down. It, I mean, it really is, and it's it's staggering. And there are millions of Jews that will tell you this, that that over there is not true Judaism. You know, the official governmental agency. You know, I'm sure there are real Jews over there, and I'm sure there are Messianic Jews over there, and I'm sure that there are, there are people that are not far from the kingdom over there. I'm just talking about, you know, the political regime that you see. Although... You know, and I'm not I'm not condemning them even. Uh, that's not my job. I'm just trying to get and find the truth. And of course, that's eventually what Pilate wants to know is the truth. What is the truth? You know, he says, I'm not a Jew, but he still wants to know what the truth is. And, and Jesus' kingdom was there at hand. It just wasn't of the world of Pontius Pilate. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world. This constitutional order and system of government. This this Pax Romana. This, the, the, and this place that they call Judea. That I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Well, there were a lot of Pharisees that heard him speaking. But they did not hear the truth. Because they don't really hear what he's saying. And unfortunately, there are many modern Christians who are not hearing what he's saying either. Because they're not real Christians. They're workers of iniquity. Now, who, what side do you want to be on? Well, if you're hearing my voice, you get to decide that now. What side do you want to be on? Do you want to be on the side of Jesus Christ, the truth? Do you want to really hear his voice, what he was really saying? You know, he didn't seem to be emphasizing the Sabbath. That much. He was called out all the time. Oh, you violated the Sabbath. Oh, you violated the food laws. Oh, you violated this and that. You, you touched this dead man. You know, the, the, I mean, we just go down a huge long list of where they were accusing him of breaking these rules. But he said, you don't understand the rules. And that's, that's the problem is that many, many modern Christians, many modern Jews, do not understand what the Torah, what the New Testament is really telling you. 
You don't hear the voice. Why don't you hear the voice? It's like, if you look at the Bible, it's like this huge maze. I heard an interesting study, I read an interesting study the other day about the fact that uh, you, you take a laboratory rat and you can put them in a maze. And it takes them a certain, and with certain tasks that they have to do. If they do this and then they get water. If they do this and they get feed. And they have to figure out how to do that. And it takes them a certain period of time to figure out how to do that. And then you take them out of that environment and then you let them breed. And then you bring their offspring back into that environment. And guess what? The offspring of the rats who have already figured out this problem know how to solve the problem quicker than rats that have never, you know, their their parentage never solved this problem. They have to start from scratch. But if your parents solve the problem, you'll solve the problem much quicker. Isn't that amazing? It's like the, the what the parents learn is passed on to the next generation genetically. They didn't even go to school to to learn how to get to this maze. Genetically, they had some sort of access to the memory of their parents so that they could solve the problem more quickly. And, of course, we read in, in the Bible, in Daniel, the kingdom of God is from generation to generation. We read in Noah over there in Genesis uh, 6, that one of the reasons where God found grace in Noah is because he was righteous in his generations. Evidently, most of the people that were going around in those days were not righteous in their generations, and so the flood was coming. And it says in there that God chose to destroy them, but the word destroy there is not the normal word for destroy. As a matter of fact, it's a particular word for destroy with a lot of extra letters that is not used in any other verse in the Bible. Only there. I mean, the word destroy is seen hundreds of times. But that particular form of the word destroy is only seen in that one verse in Genesis 6. And he says, destroy them with the earth. You know, Noah was making an ark for years. He was called a preacher of righteousness in the New Testament. Referred to as a preacher of righteousness. He knew what he had to do because of faith. And faith, as we talk about, is probity. It's, it's, it's you pushing yourself into are being pushed by this thing we call faith. You're doing, what you do is a a matter of conviction and compulsion. You have to do it. Because you made a choice earlier. See, that's the thing is, we think we, well, I chose to do this. I chose to do that. I choose not to eat this. I choose to eat that. I choose to marry this person. I choose not to marry that person. But no, actually, you make a choice, a single choice. To seek the kingdom of God in his righteousness, whatever that means. Or not to seek the kingdom of God in his righteousness. I choose to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and decide for myself what is right and wrong. Or I choose to listen to the Holy Spirit. 
When you first are being guided by the Holy Spirit, it will tell you to do little things, lots of little things. I mean, if you start to wake up, you may suddenly find, well, I don't need to smoke, I don't need to chew tobacco, I don't need to overeat, and you start, and and there's just this sudden change. You're not perfected yet in Christ. I want you to be careful of that, thinking that, well, I've I've arrived. You never arrive in an infinite kingdom. There's always growth. And you have, now you have a new hurdle. And what happens is that people come to the wall and they can't seem to get around the wall. That's, it's an obstacle. Your parents get through a wall and now it's easier for you to get through the wall. It, because of the, you know, through the maze because they got through this part. Okay. It gets easier to move on, but each generation may have another wall unique to that, you know, another something to overcome. And so from generation to generation, they get better and better and better. Finding their way back to the tree of life. Well, by the same token, what if the people fall back, backslide, and and become more blind? more ignorant of the truth, then for the next generation, we'll have to deal with their backsliding. And of course, the Bible tells us this. You know, the sins of the Father visited upon the next generation for seven generations. But if you overcome your particular wall, obstacle, hurdle, then you will help the next generation move towards the kingdom and move towards being perfected in Christ. And you will help. And there's no guarantee, no guarantee that, you know, because your father sinned that you will have to commit the same sin. If your father had an addiction problem, you may face an addiction problem. Maybe his addiction was alcohol and your addiction is food. Maybe his addiction was, you know, I mean, you could go through all kinds of the vices of, you know, from gluttony to to sloth to, um, you know, avarice and um, whatever. All these different uh, sinful pastimes. You know, you could overcome them and pass that overcoming onto the next generation. But the next generation could backslide. Because each individual generation is responsible for their choices. But the fact is, is that you make the choice of either seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And that's not, that doesn't mean thinking that you're self-righteous because you, you set up these markers. You know, uh, I don't eat pork. I don't, uh, you know, I wear a hat, uh, uh, whatever it is. You know, you can, I wear certain, my wife wears long dresses and all, and all those things may be fine. You know, but the reality is, is that those aren't the parameters that Christ focused on. Those aren't the parameters that the apostles and the early church focused on. They focused on, do you love your neighbor as yourself? Do you speak the truth? 
in all things. It's kind of like Jordan Peterson in his uh, 12 rules to resolve chaos in the world today. You know, and he actually had like 64 rules that he put together. And, and basically, this is just, you know, kind of his markers to talk about these things. I mean, he starts off with things like make your bed, which is really just get your house in order. And, of course, that was a message of Jesus Christ. You know, let's worry about the beam in your eye before you worry about the speck in your brother's. You know, and that's what we see. A lot of the liberal thinking people, they're, they're pointing, oh, these people are doing bad and these people are doing bad. And they have to even go back in history and say, oh, th- th- these people had slaves, you know, 150 years ago or 200 years ago. And the fact is, is that the liberal mindset has now got slaves being bought and sold today in Libya. And and the reality is there are slaves bought and sold in Saudi Arabia. And we send foreign aid to Saudi Arabia. You know, I mean, people have been pointing this out, but they just don't see it. You know, everybody, oh, they they hate conservatives. And and conservatives are bad. Uh, And, you know, you say anything against uh, anybody who happens to be a Muslim, because, I mean, there's a wide variety of Muslims, just like there's a wide variety of Jews, a wide variety of Christians, and some of them may not be far from the kingdom, because something is being written in their hearts and minds. They don't know all the words yet, but you can see. See, that's the amazing thing, is those seeking the kingdom and his righteousness their markers may not be the same as our markers. They may they may wear a Sikh turban. They may wear maybe a hamaka or what the, the Arabs wear, you know, the sheik's outfits and stuff like that. But they may not be far from the kingdom. You know, everybody thinks, you know, the Sabbath is the seventh day. Sabbath is about debt. It's about earning your day of rest, about working six days so that you can take the seventh day rest. It isn't about counting seven days and then taking that off. You miss the whole point if you don't know that the Sabbath is about debt, about staying away from debt, about earning your keep, paying your way. Because that's what the Sabbath is. The Sabbath is a way. All the Ten Commandments are, uh, I mean, even the word for commandments is like guideposts. If you're killing people, if you're lying, if you're coveting your neighbor's goods, if you're desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor, you're off the path. These are signposts showing you that you're on the path. Like I said, the Ten Commandments don't have penalties with them. The the penalty is going off the path. And if you go off the path, you may be destroyed like the people in the days of Noah. Which is what Genesis 6 actually says. We'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Stay tuned. So we were talking about, uh, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom, I guess. Um, we're, we're talking about Pilate dealing with Jesus Christ. They had determined that Jesus is a king. His kingdom is not of the world of Pontius Pilate. It's not of the world of Rome. It's an independent government. But it's we, we're going to also see that it is a different kind of government. But Pilate says unto him, What is the truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said that he found no fault at all in this man 
we know as Jesus, the Christ, the anointed, the Messiah. He found no fault. The people say, well, Rome is the one who convicted him. Well, he just said that he didn't find any fault. That Rome didn't find any guilt. He, Jesus had already been tried the day before and found guilty by the the Sanhedrin. Uh, but the reality is, is that wasn't a legitimate Sanhedrin. If you go to, we just put up an article on Sanhedrin as well uh, at Preparing You. And in there, there was a huge controversy over the last head of the Sanhedrin who went out of the Sanhedrin with other men leaving the Sanhedrin. And the dispute was in some degree in relationship to a guy by the name of Caiaphas who was being put in charge of the Sanhedrin. And they objected to that and they went out. This They went out sometime before this event. And so it was no longer a legitimate Sanhedrin. Well, if you read in the New Testament, they talk about Jesus sending out 70 all over, sending them out. And he actually had that number 70, which is what the Sanhedrin was, which is was 69 plus 1. And the plus 1 guy was the head of the Sanhedrin, which, and he left. And so now Jesus is sending out 70, and they actually are going out and manifesting the power of the Holy Spirit, which if you go back to the original Moses' 70, he was to bring them to the temple, which was only a tent. And the Holy Spirit was to come upon them and give them the power to be judges in the land. Well, these 70 that Jesus went out, they they healed people. They cast out demons. Now, what, what does that mean, cast out demons? It's the influence of another spirit in the life of people. These people cannot see any kind of truth. They cannot hear or even begin to understand what Jesus is talking about. And in some instances, this is really obvious or what anybody's talking about. They, they can't accept facts. They get, they get enraged and they're screaming and they're yelling and they're, you know, they're the new Nazis. They're against Nazis, but they are actually Nazis. These people are controlled by a spirit dwelling in them. You know, it's like the guy in the cemetery who was doing all this ter- terrible stuff and Jesus comes along and casts out the demons and next thing you know, this guy is as meek as a lamb. He's not influenced by those spirits anymore. You're actually seeing possession of a whole society. Well, how do you think you kill millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of people except for possession of those people? Now, did they have any choice? Uh, what, can they say, well, the devil made me do it? Well, no, they had a choice. They made a choice and then they fell victim. But it's not made up in our intellects. It's not made in the tree of knowledge. It's made in our hearts. What it, That choice is to let the Spirit of God dwell in us or not let the Spirit of God dwell in us. Well, God is not going to force himself into you Evil will come in in a minute, in a flash, in a second, if you give it a chance. 
Christ will come in and drive out the evil if you give him a chance. So I guess the message today is give Christ a chance. But you have to give the real Christ a chance. Not all this artificial mumbo-jumbo created by men who want to control your thinking. I don't want to control your thinking. I want to lead you to Christ and you allow Christ to control your thinking. But in order to do that, you have to hear his voice. So that's what Christ said to him. He says, everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And Pilate said unto him, what is the truth? And when he said this, he went out again. And he said unto them, those Jews, that he found no fault. So he didn't convict them. And later on, he's going to say that this is the king of the Jews. And what shall I do with your king? It, it's them. Now, when I say the Jews convicted Christ, all Jews didn't convict Christ. Peter was a Jew. <laughs> all the apostles were Jews. All those thousands of people who received the baptism of Christ and changed their ways because they repented, they thought a different way. They were all Jews. The Jews accepted Jesus Christ. By the time they accepted Jesus Christ at Pentecost and in the upper room and uh, in those 40 days that they, Jesus walked with them after the resurrection, all those were Jews. The, by that time, those that convicted Christ were Romans. They had become Romans. They said they had no king but Caesar. They were out. They weren't out because Jesus cast them out. They were out because they chose to follow another way. The way of Rome. If you go read our article on Rome, you may find out that you're following the ways of Rome. You're not following the ways of Christ. You've gone another way. And it isn't the way of Christ. And I don't care you know, what outside robes you put on or rituals you follow, are you following the way of Christ? Because that is a particular way and it actually is absolutely in conformity to the way of Moses. It's not in conformity to the interpretation of what Moses was doing that we see coming down to us through men like the Pharisees or the Sadducees or many other religious sects and groups. It is not like that. It is like what Moses really was doing and what Israel was really doing as a nation, as a people. No taxation in Israel, only tithes. And tithing was given according to their service. And it was your choice as to who to give it to, when to give it to, and how much to give. Now, theoretically, it should be a tenth, but then again, all the congregations were ten families. So, whatever the family gave, that was that share of the tenth, ten part. And if a rich man gave ten percent of what he had, you know, it's not ten percent. They talk about the shoot, you know, like if you were giving one, uh, you know, ten percent of your sheep, and you're running a hundred sheep down there, you'll give ten sheep. Well, they're saying... You don't go and select sheep. Well, I don't really like that one, so you can have that one. I actually know a rancher who did that for his hired man who was getting $300 a month plus all the meat, all his meat he could get for free. 
And so he was out of meat and he went to the rancher. This is this is a rancher who went out of business. This isn't the normal spirit you find amongst the ranchers. Although I've seen a few others do similar things. But uh, he goes through and he's looking in his freezer and he's finding the cuts he doesn't want. <laughs> and he's giving that to his hired man. And the hired man senses this. And he takes it and he doesn't complain. At least not to his face. But the reality is that's not that's not the spirit of what that's why they tell you the story about the shoot that you you let you know one in every ten go is that you're not to be you should be giving because that's the nature of Christ that's the nature of Moses you should not be trying to rule over your neighbor because that's the nature of Christ and that was the nature of Moses you should not be trying to profit from your association with others. You go to church for what you can get or what you can give. You tell me. Because if you go to church for what you can get, then you don't go with the Spirit of Christ. You don't know Christ yet. Now, you may know Christ a little bit, and that's what I'm saying about being perfected in Christ and going this whole way. So, you have to turn around and go that whole way. Go in that other direction. And what does that look like? Well, it looks like you'd be keeping the commandments. You would not be coveting your neighbor's goods. You would not be looking to the government of Great Britain to provide socialized medicine for you in the beginning. Now, people who came in contact with those 70 who were sent out by Jesus Christ, they were healed of illnesses and diseases. But also their minds were awakened to the truth. Other people were dying. You know, like the woman who was bleeding for years and had spent all of her money going to doctors. And finally she decided to go to Christ. And she thought, you know, she didn't think, well, if I, if I wear clothes just like him and I walk just like him and I say the words that he says... Then I'll be, Jesus said, if I just reach out and touch him. And, and Jesus felt power going out of him, virtue going out of him, and goes in and heals her immediately. This is the mechanics of the kingdom. But you're not, if you're reaching out for form and imagery and saying magic words, that's not it. You have, you have to come with a humble heart realizing you cannot save yourself. That you have to be saved, not by me, but by the Spirit of Christ. And the Spirit of Christ is going to seek the truth in all things. You're going to want to see the truth about yourself. You know, we see, it's very clear you can look out there in the liberal media. They're not interested in the truth. Oh, they're so offended by, you know, phrases like fake news. And the reality is that it is fake news out there. All the time. And, but they don't want to see it. And they're offended if somebody else begins to see it. And we see that with certain people in the media now who are supposed to be liberal. And suddenly they're kind of siding with some of the things that are going on in the conservative realm. And I'm not saying the conservatives are right either. Because, you know, the truth is what's right. And uh, while many conservatives see the truth about this and this and this, they don't see the truth about this and this and that. 
that. <laughs> you know, so you have to be seeking the truth in every realm of your life. Truth about your children. Truth about yourself. Truth about your relationships with husband and wife. Truth about your relationships in congregations with other people. Truth about your pursuit to be a minister or a congregant of a congregation. And the truth is you're not completely unselfish. Christ was completely unselfish. He didn't desire to be crucified, but he was willing to do that. So what are you willing to suffer? Where are you willing to go? In yourself, to see the truth about yourself. And, you know, become these ministers of Christ, these 70 who went out and performed, you know, I I don't even like the word perform miracles. Miracles occurred when they arrived on the scene (laughs) because they didn't perform in the Holy Spirit. They were shocked at what they saw going on. But yet it went on in front of them. They were amazed it was was going on because they weren't doing it. It was this Holy Spirit doing it. And their numbers increased because of those 70 going out for that period of time. Even back then, though, people still, at that point, many of the people did not realize who Jesus Christ really was. But they were drawn to him, to him mysteriously drawn to him. So, you know, one of the things I want to encourage everybody, if you're not in the network, you should go to preparingyouhisholychurch.org and join the network. Don't just depend upon the Kingdom News list. Go and join the network in your local area, whether you're in Texas or Australia or wherever. Join that network. Get on that email group that is in your local area, that covers your local area, and then... Join a congregation. The congregations are just free assemblies. They're not corporate groups or anything. You you just join with other people because those people will talk to each other. They'll call each other. They'll call. They'll have uh, congregational calls and they'll meet. And now you have to start devoting some of your life and energy to their well-being, not for you but for them just thinking about somebody outside of yourself and it's really great if you can't you don't all meet in the same room and pat each other on the back because now the only thing that is drawing you to help them is you're trying to learn the spirit of christ who came to serve you're coming to serve you're gathering to serve them this is going to change something this is getting over a hurdle One of those big hurdles that people can't hardly get over today is what's in it for me? What do I get out of it? They're looking for an emotional charge. They're looking for a financial reward. They're looking for satisfaction of a, you know, the gregarious nature of man. He wants to be, feel like he belongs to some. We want you to belong to Christ, which is a belonging in the spiritual realm. People substitute the feeling of belonging in the physical realm because they are missing the belonging in the spiritual realm. They're not spiritually motivated. They're emotionally motivated. Uh, And, you know, I'm not a big emotional, uh, motivational speaker. 
Because except for the fact that I want you to not follow the ways of the people in the time of Noah, who even though he was preaching them, you know, this preacher of righteousness, they were not hearing it. They continued in their violent ways. They continued in their corrupt ways. They continued in their slothful ways from generation to generation. No, the ways of Christ are different. They're, they're a different way. And the ways of Noah were different. And the way of Moses were different. But they were actually had something in common as well as Abraham. They were a voluntary network of people. And in the case of Noah, we're led to believe that only Noah and those eight people with that generational uh, of righteousness were saved. There is evidence that there were other people on there, but they weren't a part of that group. They were there by the grace of Noah. But we won't debate that. And it's really not important. The important thing is, is that you begin to follow that faithful leading of the Holy Spirit and start looking at, what am I doing? Am I keeping the commandments? Am I loving my neighbor as myself? Am I laying down my life daily for other people? Or am I constantly looking at what is to my advantage? What what do I get out of it? You don't want to be going that way. And so, you know, I'm actually probably this afternoon I'll talk a lot about... Well, actually, I've, I took these notes months and months ago and uh, going through uh, another book and... Uh, and going through, you know, the notes for the next book that I hope to publish here, if I can get the time to, and the and the spirit moves me to put it all together, so that you you get a clearer picture of the kingdom. But the f- truth is, you're not going to get a clearer picture of the kingdom by me writing another book. You know, it it needs to be written, but. What's going to give you a clear picture is that you actually look into your own heart, into your own mind, and see what walls you have built up that keep the Holy Spirit out. One of those big walls is selfishness. We're all selfish. We're selfish from the womb. You know, we want to suck the life out of our mothers. We want, we're willing to suck her life out so that we can live. And that's important. Otherwise, you get crib death. But eventually you have to wean off of that. And then you have to follow and obey your father. Now there's a natural father there, but there's another father. One who art in heaven. Which is this source of creation. This creative pattern and design. This plan of God. And going back to Genesis. And Genesis 6. We, we see that he talks about destroying. And again, I say that was a different word there. There was a mem at the beginning and a mem at the end. There was an addition of a yod. There is the letter tav, which is the letter for faith. The yod is for that spark of, of light, of righteousness. And so all that's in that word of destroy. And it says, destroy them with the earth. And the reality is that if you do not walk with God, you will not have dominion of God walking with you. You will not have the power to manifest dominion on this planet. 
operating through you. We were given dominion. We were given a job. Dress it and keep it. The 70, when they went out, they were dressing and keeping it with the power of God who walked with them and uh, and brought about these miracles as they walked amongst the people. But that's not happening with you. It's not happening with you because you have not yet surrendered to that power of the Spirit. Now, I will admit that the, the power that went out with the 70, that Christ went out, they went out because of the directive of Christ went with them, and therefore the Spirit went with them. That was not the receiving of the Holy Spirit that we see at Pentecost when they came into one accord. Christ said, I have to leave in order for the Spirit to come to you. But now Christ was in those men, 120 at that point, in the upper room. And they, when they walked out, just being near them, just falling under their shadow could heal you. Now it didn't, it doesn't just heal anybody. It heals those who are willing to receive that Spirit. So you want to be healed? Are you willing to receive that Spirit? Uh, because there were lots of people touching Jesus when he was in the crowd where the woman went up and touched his garment. But when she touched him, the Spirit flowed into her because she was to the point of humility where she knew her money, her doctor's, Her own efforts could not save her. Somebody else had to provide that. And she saw that somebody else in Christ. She could hear something in his voice, something in his manner, something in his walk. And she wanted to go and she wanted some of that. And she was willing to receive it. And so she was healed. And that's the process of healing. So in this nation today, in the world today, in the because now we're dealing with a one-world government, they always talk about. But the reality is, is that that's out there. You know, all the social security systems and all the nations are being bound together. You know, we've talked about this. We've shown you where the actual laws, what it actually says in the United Nations. They're all being tied together. And they're all based on the idea of coveting your neighbor's goods. Yeah, uh, what am I going to get? What are my benefits? What am I going to receive? Which is just the reverse of Christ, which is comes to serve. What can I offer? What can I give? How can I lay down my life for others? You know, there's an amazing phenomena going on in society. It's always been here. Happened in Rome. I mean, Rome had gladiatorial games where people actually, you know, fought with blunt swords, but eventually they actually fought with sharp swords and they actually would kill the person they defeated. And it got that barbaric. At first, you know, it was actually just reenactments. And people got hurt, but people get hurt in football. But people love to watch these conflicts and everything, the drama and all that stuff. They would draw real big crowds and everything. And people made a lot of money on the concessions. (laughs) Whatever. I'm sure it was a financially beneficial deal. And it appeased the crowds. But they shut down the games once. Because they accidentally killed... An elephant that accidentally caused the death of an elephant. Somehow or other, I don't know how he died, but he... And people were just outraged and they shut down the games. No more games because you're being cruel to animals. They're being cruel to people, but that's okay. (laughs) So there's this bizarre transference. 
where people actually care. And uh, Jordan Peterson, Dr. Jordan Peterson talks about this, where people won't take their medication for themselves. You know, they neglect it or they put it off or they don't they don't really attend. But the medication for their animal, they're going to make sure that they get that. I see people spending thousands of dollars on trying to save a 15-year-old cat. What is that all about? And yet they have no time or patience with some of their neighbors who are actually having difficulty. There's some sort of a transference where the animal has this kind of unconditional love because they want to be loved more than they want to love others. And, And, you know, I'm not condemning them, but I just want people to be aware of that. If you have this transference where you care more about your pets than your nephews and your nieces or your brothers and your sisters or your neighbor, there's a, there's a problem there. Because, you, the, the, you know, it's like the old story that if you put your wife in the trunk and your dog in the trunk and drive around for an hour and you open up the trunk, who will be happy to see you? <laughs> well, the dog has this unconditional love. Your wife is not going to be very pleased, and and understandably so. But the point is, that's why people will love their animals more than their neighbor, because they want something out of that relationship unconditionally. And the fact is, is that it's, it doesn't say... Be loved by your neighbor. It says, love thy neighbor as thyself. Well, in order to love thyself, you have to be willing to tell the truth to yourself and about yourself. And the fact is, you might have touched the Spirit of God at one point, and that changed your life to some degree. But you're not perfected in Christ. You're not like the 70 yet. And you need to rethink your view of Christianity. In order to do that, you need to really look at yourself. And you need to get down to who you really are and what is really written in your heart, what is written in your mind. And what. And in order to let in this other power, you cannot save yourself with a thought. You cannot save yourself with magic words. You need to be saved by something greater than you. And in order to receive that salvation, you must submit to that will. And that means taking a look at your own heart. So anyway, we're we're going to take another little shift. We're going to start something. We'll probably have to finish later on this afternoon. But uh, until then, uh, maybe during the break, go join the network. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So anyway, uh, you can take a look at... Uh, the Genesis 6 in our copy of the Bible at Prepare You. And uh, you'll see over there in the side notes that we talk about where Christ, uh, God talks about destroying the living creatures of the earth and yet also preserving them uh, during a massive traumatic uh, event that includes this flood. And some people talk about a local flood, but the fact is that we have evidence that there was a flood in Australia. There's a flood in lots and lots of places. Uh, Alaska, uh, you find uh, just uh, animals just churned up in the tundra, frozen still. And so there was there was some sort of huge event that took place. 
And uh, science is beginning to find out more and more evidence of that. I mean, that's where you get all these fossils where thousands upon thousands of animals were suddenly washed into muddy uh, pools and submerged under mud and all kinds of debris. And that's why they fossilized is because they were in this oxygen-deprived environment in which the uh, calciums and what have you that were in the mud would leach in and replace the organic material. And in some places, like where things are frozen, they've been frozen for thousands and thousands of years. And so, uh, anyway, whatever traumatic event took place there, it was actually a natural event. And God knew it was coming. And through faith, Noah knew to prepare. And because he prepared, life goes on in the world today. Exactly the details of all this, I could go on for hours and hours, but I'll save it for campfire talks. And you can come to the Burning Bush Festival and ask me these questions. And uh, that's going to be in uh, September. And uh, we'll we'll see you then. Uh, we hope to be opening up so more people can come out here and learn other things that we're just not going to talk about on the radio. And... Uh, we're not going to make recordings. It requires kind of a hands-on uh, deliberation uh, to get down into the nitty-gritty of what's really keeping you from entering into the kingdom of heaven and having the kingdom of heaven enter into you. Having that Holy Spirit come upon you and uh, upon your ministers. Because... We're a long ways from the kingdom, and we need to. We've we've been trapped in an ideological viewpoint of what the kingdom is all about, what the gospel is all about, what the Torah is all about, and that ideological viewpoint is actually keeping us from receiving the Holy Spirit, because that ideological viewpoint or perception is of the tree of knowledge. And the the truth is the tree of life is not the tree of knowledge. It's a separate deal. It operates differently. It gives life. It it gives you the power of dominion. Without it, you're naked. You have no power. And the world will toss you to and fro with this ideology or that ideology or this belief or that belief. And you'll find yourself trying to to measure your salvation by a measuring stick, a Biltmore stick, carved from the tree of knowledge. You know, hand carved from the tree of knowledge. And that's your measuring stick. That is not the rod that you need to measure the temple of God. It, there's prophecies about measuring the temple of God and be given a rod to do it with. That rod is spiritual. That rod is cut from the tree of life. And these are metaphors. So now what does that look like? What does that rod look like? How do you get that? Well, it has to be given to you by grace. You want grace? Give grace to others. You want to give grace to others? Gather with others with the intention of serving. Now you're walking in the way of Christ if you're really doing that. 
Now, when you try to serve others, you're going to find out, whoa, I really don't like others. <laughs> yes, they're pretty obnoxious at times. They're pretty imperfect at times. They're difficult to deal with at times. I mean, testing your patience. Wow. Well, I can tell you, my patience fails. But God's patience endureth forever. My love fails. But God's love endures forever. I I cannot conjure up God's love in me. It has to be put into me. In order for it to be put into me, I have to tear down the walls that keep me. I have to rip off the fig leaves that I'm hiding behind. I have to expose myself and see myself as I really am, naked with no power, to conduct the government of God. It has to, I have to allow the government of God to be conducted through me by the Holy Spirit. That takes a humble heart. So that's why you gather, is to learn what it means to have that humble heart. Now, you know, I've mentioned Jordan Peterson a number of times. He's a Canadian professor of psychology. He's become one of the most popular uh, public intellectuals, at least amongst conservatives. He's also extremely unpopular amongst other people. But he's gone through quite a journey himself. He's spent decades studying, you know, tyranny and the psychology of tyranny, as long as well as studying himself, looking at himself, and uh, and he's done this in the family environment and in, in his job as a clinical psychologist, as a professor of Harvard and professor in Canada, and uh, his journey is interesting because this is the same as anybody's journey. I mean, you all have your journey. Through life, and you all have lessons that you are having opportunities of learning or not learning in your life. And I, I watch my kids now have grown up. All my uh, sons and daughters are married. All of them uh, have children they're caring for. They're they're coming into face to face with their own weaknesses, and and hopefully, you know, I can't. You know, that's the thing is you raise the children to the point where they have to begin to be challenged by their their themselves and i see them dealing with you know life uh as you know adults i guess we'll call us adults and uh and trying to find their way through this maze of righteousness and unrighteousness eventually you know i had a dream once where Everybody was in this maze, but some people rose above the maze. And once you come above the maze, the walls of the maze are irrelevant to you. You can go anywhere you want. You're not restricted by the walls of the maze. You're above it. And you can also see where a person needs to go. But all those others that are down there still in the maze, how do you help them? That You have to have a relationship with them, and they have to have a relationship with you in order to receive what help you're trying to give them. So you see this bigger picture, but you also see many lost souls that are just not seeing it. That's what what was the joke that those who do not learn from history are condemned to repeat it over and over again. And those that do learn from history are condemned to watch other people who did not learn from history repeating over and over again. <laughs> so you see them, oh, like, don't do that. This is going to lead to tyranny. This is going to lead to death and destruction. 
and but they won't listen because they didn't want to learn from history. They don't want to learn from you. But the reality is, is the more light you bring to the situation, the more opportunity others have of waking up. And you bring that light by allowing that light in your own life. So you you cannot force people to see the truth, but you can become a light. That this that candle on a lampstand. Christ gave us that analogy, that that metaphor. That's what you want to do. Each of you do this. In order to do that, you have to sacrifice your own will, your own avarice, your own lust, your own selfishness. And that's what I see that Jordan Peterson, he was dedicated to his family. He was dedicated to helping other people and he wanted to do that. But he was also willing to see the truth about himself. And his 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 early church interaction and his biblical studies of religion were extremely disappointing. He decided that, you know, that religion is for ignorant and weak and superstitious, but superstitious people. Uh, but the reality is, is that he's... I don't know yet, I can't say it, but so far I haven't heard him actually understand what religion really is. He still thinks religion is what you think about God, which is a common definition today. It wasn't always the definition. But the real definition of religion is the performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. Well, Peterson talks about duty and responsibility all the time. He just hasn't yet learned that that used to be the definition of religion. And there's the, the the world is divided into these two different definitions, and yet the, the this division is not always clear because there are many people that are you know religious and they, they they think this about God and they think that about God, but they also are performing their duty to God and their fellow man, and that's what you see when Jesus was talking to the uh, uh, member who seemed to be a member of the Sanhedrin, that and he said that that he was not far from the kingdom because he understood this duty, this responsibility, and this willingness to sacrifice in order to fill, fulfill that duty. I hear people talking about what I get out of going in a congregation and the congregations are all this imperfect people and, you know, well, what the heck? Of course they're imperfect. You're imperfect. Like I always say, if you find a perfect congregation, why would they let you in? You're not perfect. You, you're not looking for the perfect group. You're looking for somebody to serve. And the worse off they are, the more opportunities you have to serve. But later on, you know, when he, he, he left religion and, and went off and get his education and be, and began to dream of a political utopia, which was going to be socialist. And he became a socialist. And he was not, he was willing to look objectively at the people who were also following that same ideological path. And he began to realize that that ideological path was a lethal trap. And it was the danger to society. And he's still in the process of realizing. You see his journey. That I always find people, I'm a, I just love to hear people and hear their their story if they get to the point <laughs> not, not merely make it a narrative um, because you know the, the honest story of their life because I find people absolutely fascinating we're all on the same journey we're all in the same world This these constitutional orders and systems or this new world order but 
can we rise above the labyrinth, the walls that we ourselves have constructed that make us trapped in this at never-ending maze? Or can we rise above it and see the real answer? And of course now when he first went to college, he was reading about George Orwell. And George Orwell was writing things like socialists do not really like the poor. They merely hated the rich. That rang a true bell in him. And he began to look more deeply at the these things. And this was a process. Another psychologist, Hyde, who's a good friend of his, he has gone through this process. And, and they, they're examining how we think and how we look at things. And he has a whole dissertation on what he calls Peterson's Triforum of Action. Unexplored territory, uh, what he talks about, the explored territory, you know, what representative presence of the Great Father can allow us invisible protection. So it's looking to this something greater than yourself, which is what religion often, when you're talking about religion in the sense of what you think about God, you have to accept that there is a God, somebody greater than you, the Great White Father, the Great Whatever, who is is in control, this creative force. But then he talks about uh, the son who bridges the gap between these two other realms. Now, he puts labels on them. Like I say, the unexplored territory, is. he talks about it being Mother Nature, all the things that we haven't yet learned about nature. Most of the world is unexplored. Most of it's underwater. And then he talks about the explored territory, where we have been um, our natural fathers and our culture, which becomes our father, and even the state, which becomes our father. And he sees these things as our explored, our experienced territory. And something that bridges the gap between what we don't know, our subconscious and our conscious. Or what we haven't learned and what we have learned and experienced. And that that something is is this sun bridge, this, this uh, mediator. This divine son. Now he's correlating all this with his perception of Christianity. And like I say, he's still on this journey as well. But he's come a long ways from being, believing in a socialist utopia. And so, and he's still got ways to go. And I, you know, I watch him, you know, in his history. And, you know, I know other people who have explored his, his history and the history of his daughter. I mean, his whole family has had you know, his brothers or his sister and his uh, family unit has had an interesting story. But we all do. But by looking sometimes at other people, we get a certain perception, a commonality of our own journey. And we start, and this is one of the things that we, he actually t- talks about this and teaches this. And uh, since we don't have enough time to get all the way through this, he talks about um, writing your own history. Writing it down. Uh, you know, looking at your past. Looking at yourself in the present. And uh, projecting where you'll go in in the future. And uh, he has this whole exercise of self, self-authoring. You know, plan for your ideal future. Understand your past and discover your true self. And of course, you know, when I was growing up, they, they would talk about finding yourself and, you know, what's the truth and all this stuff. In order to understand the truth, you have to understand the truth about yourself. You're not willing to look at yourself objectively. You're not going to find the truth. So he has this whole exercise and it's based on his own 
experience in the world of analytical psychology. And, but it could be to your advantage. We ourselves, if you want to enter the a religious order and become a part of that 70 and the 120 that we see in the early church and and beyond that, because that was repeated over and over again. There wasn't just the Sanhedrin. There were groups all throughout Israel. That was the 48 uh, other cities in the cities of refuge. Once you get past the symbolism, you start seeing that there are certain patterns and all this. If you want to get to the point where that Holy Spirit is actually flowing through you and you are actually a part of an order and you're actually bringing that light, you know, you become one of those candles, which candles burn up, but the light goes on forever. If you want to become a part of that, one of the first things we we request from you, in, in a sense we require, because that's what we're looking for, is that you write down the story of your own life. And that process of doing that is to your advantage as much as it is to ours. Ultimately, we have to depend upon the Holy Spirit as to whether we're going to let certain people into the religious order that we're in. We have no control over the others, but we certainly have a control over what we will accept and what we won't accept. And we will teach people and we would hope that everybody that would enter this order would eventually go out and become a part of another order because the whole idea is the network. And to spread that kingdom. And that's what the early church was doing. That's why the apostles were seen all over the place. And moving around in different places. And the 120 were going with them. And that 120 magnified in place after place. And and you, and you people saw the difference. And this is why Christians were persecuted. They were persecuted by the Nazis of those days. By the people who were full of jealousy and envy and, and hate. But... One of the things that when I was looking at Peterson's uh, Triforum, I was thinking, well, there is a Triforum in Christianity. It's slightly different than, it's not just slightly, it's it's quite a bit different. (laughs) But yet, I I understand how he, it's amazing the conclusions he's come to with so little religious background. And it's a part of his journey. And I'm I'm not saying things perfectly either. I'm not seeing things perfectly. But I'm willing to sit down and talk with one another and communicate with one another and and function with one another in this networking kingdom. That's what Israel was, was a network. And uh, And I've had people who think they know the Bible, full of judgment and anger and resentment, but they don't know the Bible. They would hear this. I mean, uh, the tens, hundreds, and thousands, the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, this is all part of a network pattern. And the early church organized in the same pattern. The network itself, you can see other uh, civilizations and other tribes and the Jutes and the Teutons and the Tartarians uh, all use this uh, Genghis Khan. Uh, uses tens, hundreds, and thousands networking because there's a great power in that. But ultimately, the power has to come through this Holy Spirit, this creative spirit of God moving through the tens, hundreds, and thousands. In order to do that, you need to put in place all the guideposts. You need to keep all the commandments from thou shalt not kill to thou shalt not covet not commit adultery and adultery isn't just uh, sexual adultery it's all kinds of adultery 
all kinds of adulterations, which we see the whole planet is getting adulterated with everything from GMOs to uh, chemicals released in in uh, our environment, and it's poisoning the people steadily. But with the Holy Spirit, you could be bit by a serpent and it would not poison you. They could poison the whole environment with their strategy. But if you were filled with the Holy Spirit, you would not be poisoned. You would be healed of the poisons. But you can't do that. You can't fake this. You have to see it differently. So, I talk about a Christian forum for action may be constructed with a slight variation upon this uh, Jordan Peterson Trinity or Triforum. And, and we see, you know, we have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So this is, you know, now he had, you know, like Mother Nature or Nature, the, you know, the unexplored things that we don't know, the things that we do know. So he was talking about the same concept, uh, you know, through his own paradigm of a psychologist. But he's he's seeing that there is some sort of relationship here. And so how you describe it is words. But how you understand it is needs to be in spirit. So we use this concept of the Father. The Father has this plan, this pattern. Well, that pattern, is he not the uh, nature's God? He's the creator of nature. So there's there's that. The Father is actually incorporated or visible to us through nature itself. And even Jesus talks about this, reading the signs of the time. You know, you can look up in the sky and see the weather is coming. How come you can't see the spiritual signs of the times? You know, because you don't see with spiritual eyes. You only see with the physical eyes. So anyway, then he talks about the manifestation and implementation of the plan. This is what we see in Christ. And then the power of the plan. This is what we see in the Holy Spirit. But we'll talk about this this afternoon on Keys of the Kingdom. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www dot his holy church dot net. Thank you.